Good morning. This morning we are in God's Word, amen? You can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts and in chapter 15. And as you're turning to Acts 15, I'm going to read a scripture. And it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So you're turning to Acts 15. We're going to multitask this morning. And as you're doing that, I'm going to read this scripture. In verse 17 of chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I think one of the things that most excites me about the time in which we live. Yes, I am actually excited about the time in which we live because the opportunities to reach this culture have increased exponentially. And when the culture falls apart, the answer is more obvious, but the answer is the same. The answer is Jesus Christ. One of the things we have to be careful about, we have to be careful about religion. Because it's been my experience that religion hasn't done a whole lot of good in this world over the last several millennia. Because what religion is, it's a set of rules that you follow in order to get close to God. And when has that ever worked? Even Judaism, as a religion, was really not about following a set of rules and regulations in order to come close to God. It was about pointing out the need for God, that you might have a relationship with God. But as is often the case, and even within Christianity, we oftentimes get it wrong. We think of approaching God according to what we do or what we don't do, or following a prescribed set of rules, and that somehow God is going to be pleased, and in pleasing God by our actions, we're going to get closer to God. I'm here to tell you this morning, that will not bring you closer to God. It will drive you further from God. What will bring you closer to God? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And recognizing that, again, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is the freedom we have in Christ that allows us to have peace with God, to experience His grace and His mercy, to have a relationship with God, and to spend eternity with Him. But that comes through the freedom we have in Christ, not through the law, not the religion, and not the regulations that we follow. So this morning, we're going to see that play out in real time as we study in the book of Acts in chapter 15. But before we do, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we look to you and we want the freedom that comes with having a relationship with you. We desire to know you by your grace and mercy through Jesus Christ and and, and not to approach you in a religious way. James tells us that religion pure and undefiled is to minister to the widows and to the orphans. That is the most needy. If there is a religion that's worthwhile, that's it. And keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Lord, may that be our passion. And if we are going to be quote-unquote religious, may that be our religion. To love others and to love you and to live our lives for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we see in chapter 15 that the apostles and the elders met in Jerusalem to settle a dispute within the early church. There was a time in God's church where there were factions who believed that Christians or followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, need to become more religious. 
And there were those who understood the truth. That religion could never bring a person closer to God. Only a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. By his grace, forgiveness through the death of Jesus on the cross. His resurrection from the grave. And his promise to come again. Only the truth of the gospel could set us free. And if we've been set free, we are free indeed. And so we read in verses 1 through 4 of Acts chapter 15, that some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. There's a move of God's Holy Spirit going on in the early church at this time, where God is reaching Gentiles who are not Jews with the gospel, and they are becoming Christians. And Paul and Barnabas, they travel to Jerusalem to defend God's grace to the Gentiles. This is a pivotal moment in the church, because either there's going to be freedom in Christ or there's not. And either religion will win the day or freedom will, the spirit will. Now, the Jewish believers understood. They knew this. Listen, the the people we're talking about, the apostles and the elders, for the most part, were Jews. So you would be wrong to think that all the Jews felt this way. It says some men came down from Judea. Some Jews. We'll see later that they were probably members of the Pharisees who had become believers and disciples of Christ. It was very hard for them to let go of their rules and their regulations. And they used these things to judge people. We've seen this before when we study the Gospels. How they used the rules and the regulations of the law to judge Jesus and held him in contempt. This is a very dangerous way of thinking, brothers and sisters. When you judge someone else on the basis of their behavior... That is, you look at how they live or what they do or they don't do, and you decide in your heart that they're not doing enough or that they're not living up to your expectations and therefore God's expectations. You have become a Pharisee. You have become a legalist. You have become a danger to the church. And I'm glad to say that we don't live under that oppressive interpretation here at Calvary Chapel. But I'm sure you've experienced it before where Christians have used the word of God against you to judge you and to make you feel like less than a lover of God, less than a believer, less than a disciple, because you are not meeting their expectations, and their expectations, according to them, are the expectations that one must meet in order to have a relationship with God. Therefore, you don't know God. You're not saved. You can't be saved. You're not doing X, Y, and Z. In this particular case, it had to do with Jewish customs. But as we apply that today, don't you know that there are some Christians and some religious people that will tell you you can't be saved unless you're baptized or unless you do things a certain way, maybe dress a certain way, maybe act a certain way, maybe live a certain way. 
It's a very dangerous way of thinking. Well, these believers, these Jewish believers, the apostles, the elders, Paul and Barnabas, all of them Jews, they understood that Gentiles did not need to become Jews in order to be saved. In fact, if you remember back with me, when we studied chapter 11 in the book of Acts, Peter had been severely criticized. Peter had been severely criticized by Jews for associating with Gentiles. They were racists. Can I say that in church? They were. They felt that anyone other than them were not right with God and probably couldn't be unless they became as much like them as they could. And so they had hatred in their heart toward anyone who was not a Jew. But Peter didn't. Peter had to deal with that. God dealt with Peter. And now Peter explained to them in chapter 11, we we studied it together, how the Gentiles had received the word of God. And his explanation convinced them that the Gentiles could be saved through repentance. Say that word with me, repentance. There is a difference between religion and repentance. Religion is an attempt to please God. And it is impossible to please God Without what? Faith. Faith. I tricked you there. (laughs) If you have faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. If you have faith, then you realize you, you have a problem. You need to confess your sins. Therefore, you repent of those sins and you come to Christ. Does that sound like religion to anyone? It shouldn't because it's not. It's a relationship with God. But you see... Some or most of the Jews at this time had learned this truth. God had showed them this and they ultimately embraced the truth. Gentiles had received the word of God. They didn't need to become Jews. But there were some Jews that just couldn't take this. Couldn't tolerate the idea that anyone different than them who lived differently than them had different customs, different practices and different uh, rules that they followed that they could be loved by God. That God would save them for eternity. They would stand at the back door of this church and turn you away unless you passed their religious test. Now, no one wants to live like that. And yet for millennia, maybe at least hundreds of years, centuries, the church has oftentimes done this kind of thing. And nothing stifles the work of the Spirit like man imposing religious rules on God's people. Which is why we don't do that here. Now, certain men, we're told, certain men, some men came from Judea to the church at Antioch, which was in Syria, and they came there with the express purpose to teach men that they should be circumcised. How this would be a popular doctrine as a man, I do not know. And of course, it's kind of interesting because later when they find out they don't have to be circumcised, it describes the men were very glad. Men, can I hear an amen? So... Listen, these Jews clearly believe that Gentiles must become Jews in order to be saved. That's what it meant to be circumcised. You were brought into the family of Jews. You became a Jew. And that's essentially what they're saying. Got to be a Jew in order to be a Christian. They still considered it unlawful for Jews to associate with uncircumcised Gentiles. This was a big deal. Their understanding of God's grace was limited by their own experience with the God of Israel. They couldn't fathom that there was a world out there where God would love you as you are and not demand anything from you in order to be loved. Yes, repentance is a part of the response to God's love, but repentance isn't responsible for God's love. God loves you. And if you accept that love, you repent by faith 
of your sins and you ask God for forgiveness and you're saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Are we understand? That's called the gospel, by the way. The gospel of God's grace. And Paul and Barnabas, they were champions of the gospel of grace, as was Peter, as we'll see. These men wanted to impose rules and regulations on people that had found freedom in Christ. Why is it that the world, the media, and everyone who opposes Christ wants to take away our freedom? Have you ever stopped to step back and say, why is that? Now, now we're talking about freedom in Christ, but freedom. And let's be honest, our freedom in America is to serve Christ. It's not freedom from God. It's freedom to serve God. Why is it that those rights are always being attacked? I'll tell you why. Because the devil wants one of two things. He wants you to not believe that there is a God or he wants you to live in fear of God. Now, yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about this last week, but afraid of God will keep you from God. Not believing there is a God will keep you from God. So are you seeing the playbook, brothers and sisters? The world, the devil, the spiritual forces of wickedness in this world want to keep you from God. You know that. So why are our freedoms under assault? Because if you have the freedom to know God... God can do amazing things in and through your life, and you'll spend an eternity with him. And the devil and the world and the wicked, demonically possessed politicians don't want that. They don't want that for you. They don't want that for anyone. You've got to be asking yourself the question, what motivates these people? Why would they attack our freedoms? Don't ask that question. I just answered it. You know why. They're trying to keep you from God. So, is it any surprise that for the last year and a half, all of the authorities have done their very best to keep you out of church? Obviously, it didn't work. Look around. Praise God. Trying to keep you out of church. Why? Because you might find God in church. You see, it's very important. We understand we're in a battle. And that spiritual battle depends on one thing. When I was a kid in Boy Scouts, we played this game, Capture the Flag. I don't know if you ever played it. I've never played paintball, but essentially that's what capture the flag is. It's paintball without the guns. And you try to capture the flag of the other side. And, and, you know, in Boy Scouts, we had uniforms. So one team wore a uniform, the other wore a white shirt. But many times, many times, kids without scruples would change their uniform and sneak into the other camp. And you know what the goal was? Steal the flag. We are engaged in a battle. The flag represents what we protect most. Brothers and sisters, it's our freedom as Christians and as Americans to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not concede on one point. For before you know it, you will no longer be free. You will no longer be free. I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, Your freedom is at stake. Stand for it. Don't let anyone take it away from you. And these Jews were not about to let a certain group of people, a minority group of people, threaten the freedom that they had to worship God apart from rules and regulations. Mandates, if you will. So, Following this teaching, this false teaching, would mean that salvation required some action on their part. Do you know how dangerous that is? To tell someone you do and God will love you? 
You do, and God will love you. Do you realize, take a moment and think about what you're saying. The cross of Jesus Christ was not sufficient, is what you're saying when you say you do, and God will love you. It wasn't finished when Jesus said, it is finished, if you say to people, you do, and God will love you. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you. God loves you, period. Paul and Barnabas, well, (laughs) could you imagine what they must have been responding with? I mean, they must have been incensed. Paul and Barnabas strongly opposed these men from Judea. I believe they chased them out. Uh, They had come to the church in Antioch, their own church. There was a Jewish slash Gentile church where they worshiped God in freedom. Uh, Christ is a Greek word. And so the word Christian came from the church in Antioch because this was the first really Greek church, Gentile church. In Antioch and Syria, Paul and Barnabas were on staff. There were others. All of these men were, were, were ministering to, to many, many people. Many, many people. And it says in the Bible, we read it already in previous studies, that they were first called, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. And that's because you wouldn't use a Greek word to describe a Jewish Christian. But the Gentiles were called Christians. So when we say we're Christians, that's really saying we're Gentiles. But not anymore because we're one in Christ. But at the time, if you were a Jew, you were a follower of the way or one of the Nazarenes or you were of a sect. You were, you were Jewish and you believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But if you were a Gentile, you were a Christian. You were a Christian. So these men were strongly opposed to this type of teaching. They disputed it. They debated with these teachers over their insistence on circumcision. They didn't hesitate to defend the gospel of grace. They were Jews that understood that no one can be saved by the law of Moses. And they knew that only by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, can anyone be saved. No action or inaction on our part increases or decreases our ability to be saved. Nothing you can do will make God love you more. Nothing you can do will make God love you less. That is the gospel of grace. You know, it makes some people nervous to say that. You mean anybody can be saved? Yes, anybody can be saved. Whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I didn't say everyone is saved. I'm saying anyone can be saved. Now listen, salvation is a precious gift. You don't pay for a gift. It's available to anyone that desires to repent and be saved. To repent is to change your mind about sin. That's all it means. You know what? It means I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I don't want to live that way. I say the same thing about my sin that God says in his word about my sin. Does it mean you no longer sin? Well, according to the apostle John, if you say you're without sin, you lie and the truth isn't in you. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's one mediator, Paul tells us, between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're saved by grace. Yes, we're saved by grace. Salvation is a gift, but you have to receive that gift. Have you received that gift? Well, the church in Antioch, they got really upset about this. And so they sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, which is sort of like, you know, the headquarters of the church at that time. And they met with the apostles, the elders. They sent them along. Uh, with some others, to resolve this question concerning circumcision and specifically whether Gentiles needed to become Jews in order to be saved. They traveled through the areas of Phoenicia and Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. And, and I like that because it, it tells us that they traveled through these areas 
And they told how the Gentiles had been converted. So these guys are out there spreading the word of God's grace. And I love it. Again, it says the news made all the brothers very glad. They didn't want to go through this ritual. They didn't, they didn't want to be Jews. They wanted to love God and know God. Now, there's no reason for Jews not to be Jews, but there was no reason for Gentiles to become Jews. That's a very simple message. And we're going to see they work that out. But at this point, there are enemies within the church that would tear down the church and demand things of people that are unscriptural. And remember, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So they testified in these areas. Phoenicia was a territory within the province of Syria on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Samaria was a large region directly north of Judea and directly south of Galilee. So they had to travel through these areas. They didn't just travel through them. They met with the brothers. They encouraged people. They spread the word, the good word of the gospel of grace. Because they had to undo what a lot of these heretics were doing. Which was to preach a gospel of works or legalism. So, they testified in the churches how the Gentiles had come to faith, and these churches outside of Judea were greatly encouraged. Well, when Paul and Barnabas get to Jerusalem, there there isn't a schism. It isn't as if the, the church in Jerusalem doesn't love the church in Antioch. They are different churches. They're very different culturally. In Jerusalem, almost completely Jews, if not completely Jews, worshiping in very Jewish ways, living and eating according to the Jewish customs. In Antioch, the exact opposite. People eating differently, living differently, dressing differently, acting differently. And because of that, this caused some people to have a problem within the church. There was a schism. Some people, not all people, but some people. So Paul and Barnabas, when they get there, we're told in verse 4, they're welcomed in the church at Jerusalem. They're welcomed by the apostles and the elders. The Jewish and Gentile churches were not divided over the gospel of grace. There was a few troublemakers, but the churches were not divided. You see, one of the reasons they were not divided, and this is just how God works. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And God warned the Gentile church that this famine was coming. Actually, the famine was throughout the Roman world. And so the Gentile church, they saved money, they took their resources, they prepared for the famine. They not only did that, they sent their resources to the church in Jerusalem. Now when someone shows that kind of love, it's very hard to be prejudiced, isn't it? It's very hard to be biased against a group of people that bailed you out. God will oftentimes bring need in the heart of the person who needs to be more open. And then God will provide to the person who can meet the need and who is being discriminated against an opportunity, listen, listen, an opportunity, listen, to bless the person who has an issue. I want you to understand something. Where there is racism and division in our country, the answer isn't burning down cities. The answer is blessing one another. Have we forgotten the words of Jesus? Is the answer, do you really believe that this would be Christian and godly? No matter how many lawn signs you see, there is nothing godly about hating anyone. If you feel marginalized because of your skin color, your ethnic background, and you're being motivated to hate white people, I don't need to tell you who you're listening to, do I? 
If anything, if you really want to change this world, if you have a heart to stop racism, I see so many signs, stop racism. You know what the answer is? Bless your neighbor. What if a thought, just a thought, a random thought, if you will, maybe not that random. What if you felt marginalized? What if because of something about you and your heritage or your skin color, you felt that you were prejudiced against and and you didn't have as much privilege as someone else? Let's say you felt that way, and maybe some of you do. What if you set about to bless the person you feel is more privileged than you? Would that change their heart? Oh, oh, or you could burn down their city. Or, or you could smash their windows. Or you could beat them up at a restaurant while they're having dinner. You tell me, what do you think is more effective? Or have we forgotten the words of Dr. Martin Luther King? Brothers and sisters, in our nation today, racism is fomented by the media and the government. We can solve this problem very quickly. Love one another. Well, I can't love. I've, I've felt that, you know, prejudice against my whole life. All the more reason to follow the words of Jesus. To love that person who may have despitefully used you or persecuted you. If you think we're going to change the world by hating one another, I promise you we won't. We'll only burn it down. So the reason the church wasn't divided was because the people who were being persecuted against and the people who were marginalized, even now, there's still a group of people who are racist in their heart coming to this church and demanding things of these people. And what do they do? They bless them. Brothers and sisters, we need to bless our way to unity. We need to bless our way to unity in our country today. That is the only way things will change. And we as Christians should know better. And I know you do. Well, that's how they became united. They blessed one another. Paul and Barnabas had delivered gifts to the church elders in Jerusalem. So of course they were welcomed and received warmly. They testified to the apostles and elders all that God had done among the Gentiles through them. God's working, they said. God's working among all peoples. Let's come together to love one another. And they did. But I want you to see something because the enemies of love, the promoters of real hate, not faux hate, real hate, will always show their ugly heads when people come together. Here's what happened in verse 5. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, excuse me, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. These guys are really serious about their demands. I imagine they didn't hang around very long. But this group of people really allowed hate to fill their hearts. And do you know why? They felt that their way of life was more important than anyone else. As a consequence, they were willing to demand things of people that were outrageous. They allowed hate to fill their hearts. 
And look what they're saying. They weren't convinced that the Gentiles could be saved through repentance. They refused to embrace the truth that Gentiles had received the word of God. And they clearly believed that Gentiles must become Jews in order to be saved. And they still considered it unlawful for Jews to associate with uncircumcised Gentiles. These are racists. Listen, the racists are never on the side of freedom. The racists are never on the side of freedom. Remember that as we go through these dark days. The true racists are the ones who will take away our freedom in Christ, our freedom to worship, our freedom to assemble, our freedom to bear arms, our freedoms according to our constitutions are going to be threatened by the real racists. Which, by the way, is very interesting because it seems in very vogue to hate white people today. That seems to be okay. Well, I take issue with that. Because we're not supposed to hate anyone. The racists are the ones who jeopardize our freedoms. And especially in the church. Well, they were called Judaizers because they wanted to make everyone a Jew. And not that there's anything wrong with being a Jew. It's just that you're wrong when you think everyone should look like you, act like you, eat like you, think like you, be like you. You're wrong. And they were wrong. And they would later harass and persecute Paul as we'll see as we study through the book of Acts. Well, I'm glad that the apostles and the elders met on this issue because they dealt with it. Look at verses 6 through 11. In verse 6, we read that the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Now, this is the part that's so disturbing to me. Verse 7, after much discussion, I have to stop there and say, really? See, where I'm coming from, this should have been like a a two-minute conversation. After much discussion, that's, a, that's, that's scary to me that it took that long. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You see, either it's grace or it's not grace. And and Peter's saying, uh, we Jews are saved by grace, so why aren't the Gentiles saved by grace? I love Peter. You got to love a man who knows how to open up his mouth. There are few men like this anymore in our culture. Someone, a man or a woman, who's willing to stand up and tell the truth. They're called radical. When did the truth become radical? When the enemies of truth called it a lie. So, the elders met. Specifically, they met to determine if Gentiles needed to become Jews in order to be saved. Now, this took place about 50 AD. It's about 20 years after the founding of the church. Probably about 10 years now after the Gentiles started joining the church. So this has been going on for 10 years. The church has been around for 20. 
And now this issue that's been festering, this issue of what is clearly racism or religious religiosity, if you will, this issue that would, would possibly destroy the church and this move of the Spirit and take away the freedom we have in Christ, comes to a head. And Peter addresses them all concerning God's grace to the Gentiles. Listen, Peter's the rock. That's what his name means. His real name is Simon, but he's called the rock. And when I think of that name, The Rock, I don't just think of Dwayne Johnson. I think, although I do a little bit, I have to admit. I think of something solid, consistent, and dependable. In fact, is it Prudential Insurance Company? Get a piece of The Rock and they show Gibraltar. You know, they show The Rock. When you think of a rock, you don't think of something unstable. You think of something you can rely on. And of course, The Rock is Christ. But Peter was named the little rock, if you will. He was the rock that Christ chose to build his church upon. Actually, the truth of Christ is Messiah, but it was through Peter. He was one of the three pillars within the early church, James, Peter, and John. Now, that's James, the brother of our Lord, and we'll see him in just a minute. Peter was the first person that Jesus called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's right that he should speak. And he testified how the Gentiles had received the word of God. God had called him, of all people, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles that they might believe. We saw in previous studies, Peter didn't want to do it. Peter did have some degree of hatred toward the Gentiles. He got over it. Is it possible for someone who was raised to think badly about another group of people to get over it? Say amen. I know some of you probably grew up like I did. Not from my parents, but from others, I heard very many racist things. I grew up in the 70s. It was nothing for certain people to talk about other people in very negative ways, using all types of awful, evil language. I'm not a racist. Because I was able to get through that through the love of Christ. Now, I never really had a problem with racism. But I do take issue with someone telling me I do. How do you know my heart? How does anyone know my heart? God knows my heart. I answer to him, no, I am not a racist. And if you call me one, I not only take issue with it, I wonder whether maybe the racism is talking to me. The racist is the person calling me one. Well, as I look at this, I realize Peter had a long way to go, but he got there. He got there. And God confirmed his acceptance of the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh, I I feel a William Wallace moment coming on. Braveheart. I feel it. It might happen before the end of the service, but paint half of my face blue. Anyway, God confirmed this. He had called Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles that they might believe. God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. He purified their hearts by faith. We should not make distinctions, religiously or otherwise, among people, um, and especially among ourselves. Well, he rebuked, that is, Peter did. He rebuked those Pharisees who were rejecting God's salvation through grace alone. He even questioned why they would try to test God. Not a good idea to test God. When you test God, you're questioning his grace. You're testing God. You want to test God? You question why they would insist. Why would they insist on circumcision and obedience to the law of Moses? I'm going to tell you why. They had hatred in their hearts. 
Hatred is always behind trying to control people. If you want to see who the haters really are, it's the ones trying to take away your freedom. It's the ones that are trying to make you exactly like them. Well, he rebuked them. They wanted to, to place the, on the Gentiles a burden that the Jews weren't even able to bear. And he affirmed that both Jews and Gentiles are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is the last time in the book of Acts that Peter's mentioned. But boy, what a heroic moment. Freedom! Well, Peter went on to write 1 Peter and 2 Peter and provide a detailed history for the Gospel of Mark. But now on to Barnabas and Paul, because they had come from Antioch, and they're, they're pastors and leaders in the Gentile church. So you can imagine they had a few things to say. In verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. It's pretty hard to argue with miracles. Love it. Everyone's silent. They testified all God had done. They told them about all the miracles. They told them about the signs and wonders. They told them that they were convinced that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This truth that God had opened up the door of faith to the Gentiles revolutionized their approach to sharing the gospel in this way. You can share the gospel with anyone and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That revolutionized the church. Well, then, there is a presiding officer over this council, and his name is James. He's the half-brother of our Lord, the son of Joseph and Mary. And James had something to say after he listened to everyone else speak. We read in verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up, brothers, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. Now, this is interesting. James is a very interesting character. He, he, he wrote the book of James, the, the epistle that James wrote is included in our Bibles. Now, as the presiding leader of the church in Jerusalem, he waited until everyone finished before speaking. He's one of the three pillars of the early church as well. And he affirmed Peter's testimony concerning God's grace to the Gentiles. Now listen, you got Peter, you got James, you got Barnabas, you got Paul. I don't even know why this was up for discussion or debate, but it was. So he confirmed that scripture predicted that God planned to show his grace to the Gentiles. And it's true, brothers and sisters, Jewish scripture predicted that God would show his grace to the Gentiles. They just didn't like to read those parts of the Bible. So that's what happens. When we don't like something scripture says, we usually ignore it. That's what they did. See, the Lord promised Amos. This is from the book of Amos in chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. James knew his Bible. The Lord promised Amos that he would restore the divided kingdom of Israel. Now, we know that this will take place during the millennial kingdom of Messiah. Jesus will rule and reign on David's throne over a restored Israel from Jerusalem. Now, that hasn't happened yet. That's going to happen. 
And this will include, according to Amos, all the land of Edom, all the area that had been desolate for millennia, and his subjects, that is Christ's subjects, will include a remnant of all nations that survived the Great Tribulation. So if that's good enough for Jesus, why isn't it good enough for you? Why isn't it good enough for these Judaizers? Again, it has to do with our hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked. There's no one that you should have an issue with sharing the gospel with, regardless of their sin or their lifestyle. There's simply no one that can't come to Christ because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. So, James quoted these verses from Amos to confirm God's grace to the Gentiles. And then he issued a very practical, I think this is an extremely practical decision. After listening to all those that had shared their testimony in verses 19 through 21, he said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, what is that all about? Listen, the purpose of James is to bring unity to the church without imposing rules. He's giving guidelines that will bring unity. Let me explain. He affirmed that the Gentiles were truly turning to God, that they shouldn't be a burden to him. But if the Jews were going to have fellowship with the Gentiles, there were some things that the Gentiles could do to promote unity. I'm going to give you a very interesting example that has nothing to do with them. Let's say that you go out to dinner with a vegan or a vegetarian. Let's say you do. I happen to not be one. But let's say me, I have my hamburger, and the other person has their veggie burger. If I insist that they eat meat, or they insist that I don't, we cannot have a meal together. Can't. But if I allow that person to eat that thing that's supposed to be a hamburger, <laughs> it, it tastes just like a hamburger, so does mine. If I am okay with that, and they're okay with me, we can be one in Christ. They don't have to eat like me. I don't have to eat like them. They don't have to dress like me. I don't have to dress like them. There are some basic things that could prevent us from having fellowship, though. And for the Jews, they were, you know, there were a couple of things, and, and James understood this. So he's not making a compromise. He's making a very practical declaration that will help the Gentiles to have fellowship with the Jews. That's all this is. It's not a new law. And what is this? When you think about it, it's really not that much. It wasn't meant to hinder the gospel of grace. It wasn't as if you couldn't be saved if you didn't do these things. But it was designed to promote unity with the Jews and holiness within the Gentile church. All of the restrictions that James mentions are, in fact, mentioned because they're associated with pagan idolatry within the Gentile culture. Everything he mentioned has to do with pagan idolatry. That is worshiping other gods, which, by the way, is prohibited for Jews and Gentiles. Okay? So look at this. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Anyone have a problem with that? No one should. Not even the Gentiles. Why would you eat food sacrificed to idols? And you know if you do... Your brothers and sisters who are Jewish are going to have a problem with that. They can't eat with you. So why would you eat that way? How about this one? Abstain from sexual immorality. You know what amazes me in today's church? 
Many churches are embracing sexual immorality to bring unity or equity. So in other words, okay, we're not going to call out homosexuality as sexual immorality because we want to be one. Even James, at this time in the church, recognized that that kind of behavior will definitely divide us. Oh no, we're going to fly a a rainbow flag out front and tell everyone it's okay. No, we're not. All sin separates you from God and should be repented of. Jew or Gentile, sexual morality is off the table. What's sexual morality? I think you know. Sex outside of marriage. As a heterosexual or a homosexual. It's anything sexual that God's word identifies as immoral. And by the way, God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. All those who are sexually immoral. So is it too much for them to ask the Gentiles to do something or not do something that is sinful? Of course it's not too much. And so it's it's a simple... Paul is preaching this very same thing among the Gentiles. So, so far we're good, right? There's really no problem here. And then, abstain from meat from strangled animals without the blood let out in a certain way. Now, Jews couldn't eat that meat that way. So if you invited a Jew to your house and you didn't have kosher meat, they can't eat it. But also, this is associated again with idolatry. They would strangle the animal, not let out the blood, and then eat the animal as part of the pagan rituals. And it's unhealthy on top of that. And then, of course, abstain from the blood of animals, which is all along the same lines of saying, these are the things that will keep us divided. Now, let me ask you a question. If for some reason you really, really liked... Let me just... Excuse me. If for some reason you really, really liked blood... Now, there are some people that like blood pudding and blood sausage and morcillo and all that kind of stuff. I'm not about that. And let's say you like that kind of thing. Now, do I think you eating that means you can't be saved? No. I think it means if you invite me to dinner and you, and you serve that, I'm going to be a vegetarian. <laughs> At least for that night, I'm going to be a vegetarian. So, are you going to let little things like that keep you from being united in Christ? I hope not. And it's not really a little thing anyway. Not for the Jew. For the Gentile, it might be. But when they mentioned sexual morality, I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting. We're being told that that's keeping the church divided because we demand you to at least say the same thing about sin that the Bible says. Sexual sin and other sin. But isn't it interesting that the early church understood, no, 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 this is, this is non-negotiable. This is non-negotiable. People will say that we're too strict, we're conservative. How can you say that to somebody You know, and we live in a culture now where having sex outside of marriage is like a foregone conclusion. They have apps. You just swipe somebody and you're saying that's what you want to do. And you know what the saddest thing of all is that Christians, many Christians, think that that's okay. Brothers and sisters, it's not okay. It's not okay. It will never be okay. So that's an interesting thing. And how they handle this, I I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. They made it clear that there are things that are important that maybe need to divide us. If you feel differently about certain things according to the word of God, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be a part of our fellowship. 
But let's not let the minor things or the other things that we could, we could just not do, that, that could cause division, let's just put those aside for the sake of unity in Christ. And I think it's a great and wonderful decision. He encouraged them to live lives that were separate from the world and from its culture, essentially. And this allowed the Jews to freely associate with the Gentiles without violating their conscience. And this was especially important now that they were saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make one more practical application. If your goal in life is to enforce people to get vaccines, or your goal in life is to keep people from getting vaccines, you will divide the church. You will. Regardless of how you, how you feel about that, think about it. There's freedom in Christ. You have the freedom. Well, some of that freedom is being eroded by our government, but you have the freedom to stand up for what you believe. You have freedom. You have freedom. Don't take away someone else's freedom. Either way. Either way. So those types of things will destroy us. And I think that's what the devil's actually doing. Trying to pit us against one another over stupid things. That at the end of the day don't really matter. Because if you get COVID and you die, God forbid, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Why are we allowing the devil to work in the church in this way? Well, let's close this thing up. Here we see that the Gentiles had heard the law preached. They knew how the Jews lived because it was preached in every city, we're told. Notice he said it this way. He said, Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times. It's read in the synagogues. It's not as if the Gentiles didn't know. So he gives them that advice. And that's what it is. Advice, guidelines. They were familiar with the moral and dietary practices. And if they wanted to be one church, they had to accept that truth. And I love that James exercised the spiritual gift of leadership. He cites apostolic authority when he points to the uh, authority in the testimony of Peter. And he cites scriptural authority when he points to the authority in the testimony of Amos from the Old Testament. And he exercises spiritual authority. So he cites apostolic authority, scriptural authority, and exercises spiritual authority because he discerns the Lord's will concerning church practice. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Verses 22 and on through the rest of this section. I'm just going to read the the official wording here. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. And with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, Greetings. We have heard that someone out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friend Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Well, the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together, delivered the letter, and the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. 
Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. And after spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Problem averted through wisdom. Problem averted. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to close this briefly. And as we prepare our hearts to close this service, understand that what was happening here was a work of God's Spirit. A work of God's Spirit to bring unity in the church. Being sensitive to one another. Looking to bless one another. Not allowing things to divide us. All of this was a good thing. And so as they gathered the church in Antioch and delivered this letter from the apostles and elders, the people were greatly encouraged. Are you encouraged today? Say amen. Amen. They were encouraged by the letter. They were encouraged by the message of support. And Judas and Silas, they exercised the gift of prophecy. God is speaking to them. And they're encouraging the people as well. You see what happens when we allow the Spirit to work in our midst? Encouragement, joy, gladness. They spent some time and then they went off and we know that Silas hung around because he and Paul are about to go on their second missionary journey. And they preached the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the way the preaching of the word of the Lord will cease is if we tear each other apart. Freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for encouraging us. May we love one another. May we live our lives to bless one another. And if we have any hatred in our heart toward another person, may you take it away and replace it with a desire to bless them. And if there's something we can do that doesn't violate the word of God or our consciences to bring unity in the body of Christ, may you guide us and lead us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.